All right. Good morning, everybody. Again, it is so good to have you here. Just by a show of hands uh, this morning, how many of you feel like you're ready for Christmas? Feel like you're ready for Christmas? All right, seven of you. That's not good, folks, right? My word. I don't feel ready either. I haven't really started my Christmas shopping yet, but man, it's only the 17th, so we got a long time uh, to go. It is good to have you here again. If this is your first time here, we want to say welcome. We pray that you feel loved and welcomed uh, in this place and welcomed as a part of our family uh, here at Hope Des Moines. It is the third uh, weekend of Advent. I have to catch myself as saying the third Sunday of Advent, third weekend of Advent as we have uh, Saturday and Sunday services here at Hope Des Moines. So it is the third weekend of Advent as we get closer uh, to the coming uh, of Jesus on Christmas. And if you uh, look up here at our Advent wreath, we've got three candles lit around the center candle, the Christ candle, which will light on Christmas Eve as we build up to that. Some of you are doing that uh, tradition, as well as uh, kind of the collaborative painting that's been building up uh, here as well during the season of Advent as the creative team has been adding another word to that painting each week. So they started with hope and then peace and this week joy and they'll continue that next week until on Christmas Eve they'll kind of tie it all together and you'll see that live painting happening during Christmas Eve. So yet another uh, reason to come and check out our Christmas Eve services on Friday and Saturday. But it's been fun to see that painting come together and it forces you to wait. It forces you to anticipate what's coming, which is really the season of Advent. But I thought, you know, we're, we're close enough now. We can say Merry Christmas. I feel like we're getting close enough now. You can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit to Christmas. So I thought, if you don't mind, I, I've got some uh, Christmas chores uh, to do. Is that okay if I just take care of a few of my Christmas chores, right? Is that going to bug anybody? Is that okay? Okay. I, it, it's okay. All right. Sorry. I just, I got, I got behind on things. I had a lot to get ready. And so I just packing up uh, some things. I figured we're, we're close enough to Christmas now that, that it's time to start packing things up. Cause after all, it, it all goes back in the, in the box at the end of the day. So um, I had this tree that I just needed to get situated in here uh, a little bit more. You know, it's one of these that comes in a stand and everything, and so I just needed to label it and get it wrapped up. Because at the end of the day, you know, in a couple weeks, Christmas is going to be over anyway, right? So we might as well start tearing down now. I don't know if anybody you've started, but I thought I'd just start a new tradition and get this all wrapped up. Uh, because, you know, in a couple weeks, the parties will be all done, and you'll just have a bunch of leftovers in your fridge that you don't want to eat, and everybody will be ordering pizza, you know. The relatives will have gone home, even the relatives you don't like very much. Uh, they'll have gone home, and all the Christmas songs will be done on the radio. You'll have had your gatherings. You'll have gone to your holiday Christmas parties, everything. You know, most of you will have taken your lights down a couple weeks from now, except you weird people that leave them up till Valentine's Day, you know. And pretty much everything will be done for Christmas, because at the end of the day, Everything for Christmas is going to go back in the box, and then it's going to get put back in your attic, and in a couple weeks, Christmas will be over. It'd be very easy to, to stand up here two weeks from now as if Christmas had never happened. And at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box, not because everything's picked up, but because we never let Christmas happen to us. And that's why I'm sharing this today and this message today instead of waiting till after Christmas, because I think it's a message that we often miss. In a few weeks, it would be logical to say, Christmas is over. But maybe it doesn't have to be. If we approach it with that mentality of, well, we're all just going to tear it, tear it all down and tear the decorations down and put them back in the box and back in the attic, well then, yes, Christmas is over. But maybe the most important question that you are going to be asked in the next week is not just what did you do for Christmas, or what did you do for Christmas Eve, or where did you worship, 
what did you do on Christmas? Maybe a way more important question is, what happened on the 26th? How's your life different on the 27th, the 29th, on January 4th, on February 10th, on March 8th, and down the line? Did Christmas change anything for you? And I think it's way more important that we have this conversation now than waiting till after Christmas because it could very easily go all back in the box. Will the joy and the peace and the love that you've experienced during this season give you some warm fuzzies and have you go through the motions of Christmas or will it change anything? And the answer has everything to do with the way that we respond to the gift that we've been offered. And the answer to that question comes to us from the most unlikely people and the most unlikely places. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be in our scripture reading that you heard read just a little bit earlier. When you were hearing that story, some of you are like, wait a minute, that's the story of the Magi. We're skipping ahead in the story a little bit, aren't we? And the answer is, yes, we absolutely are. We're skipping ahead uh, in the story, and I want to dig into it today, the story of the wise men. The story of the Magi, which normally, I don't breaking all pastor protocol here by preaching on the wise men before Christmas even happened because, wait, Jesus hasn't been born yet. But what happens is I think the wise men kind of get the shaft, right? And rightly so, the focus is on Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But this is a part of the story that often uh, gets overlooked uh, and forgotten about. And so I want to talk about it before Christmas so it gets the attention that it deserves because I think the message of this part of the Christmas story is very important for the way that we approach Christmas so that we don't get to January, February, and you're looking back on this time going, you know, I didn't really let Christmas happen to me. I didn't receive it. I didn't uh, approach it in, a, in, a, in, a, in actually a, a biblical way of the way that you see characters responding to Jesus in the actual story. So before we get to baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and before you get to starting January and making your New Year's resolutions, slow down and let's dig a little bit deeper into this story in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2 verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, has that ever dawned on you when you read this part of the story? And some of you may be very familiar with it. All of you, I'm sure, have manger scenes in your front lawn right now, or sitting on your mantle or your fireplace or whatever it is. And there's three wise men there, right? They're an essential part of the story. But has it ever dawned on you that we talk about the angel, we talk about Mary and Joseph, we talk about the shepherds, we talk about the baby, of course, the most important part. But do you really know anything about the magi? Do you know anything about the wise men, right? They're just kind of there. They just kind of show up, right? And other than that, we don't really know anything. The only thing that I remember growing up, maybe some of you were uh, in Christmas programs for the children growing up like we had last weekend here, and we had, right, the three magi show up uh, here in the story. And all I remember is that in the, in the Christmas program, the kids program at the church that I grew up in, everybody got to be a different uh, biblical character. And, you know, as a, as a guy, you didn't really want to, the options were you could wear, you know, an angel halo and the wings, but that was kind of girly, and I didn't really want to do that. You could have an an enormous uh, amount of cotton balls uh, taped all over you and be a sheep, or you could be the most amazing part. You could be a wise man 
who got to wear a bathrobe and a Burger King crown, right? What is better than that? So everybody wanted to be those three spots to be the wise men. But other than that, we don't know a lot about these guys. But clearly from the story, there is a lot more than that. First, we don't actually just breathe for a second here. We never are actually told how many wise men there are. Some of you are like, but there was three because that's what's in my manger scene. Look at the story. We are never told how many wise men there are. Now we speculate because of the three gifts that were given, and we'll get to that later, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, that there were three, but we're never actually told from the story how many there were. Some of you, your manger scene dreams were just dashed right there, right? That, that's fine if there's three, and we don't even know their names. It could have been Curly, Moe, and Larry, for all we know, uh, but we are never told their names. Some biblical scholars later on in an early church uh, Christian writings speculate as to what their names might have been or they were assigned uh, names, but we don't know. But what we do know is that they were from the East. They were from the Orient, which means scholars suggest, as you look at, go ahead and go to the next slide and look at the map, they were probably from somewhere at that time in Persia, in the, in the Persian Empire, which is in modern day, believe it or not, Iran. They are from the Middle East. And so you can see the arrow there. They had a long way to travel all the way down to Jerusalem. Right? So there's also reason to believe that their actual visit, that visit, because it was so long, probably did not take place, again, mind blown here, during the time that Jesus was actually born. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Christmas, that no, it wasn't a nice little log cabin where Jesus was born. It was probably a hole in the ground. It was probably a cave where they would shove animals is where Jesus was born, but at that manger scene, it wasn't like the shepherds came and then they got up and left and looked at the wise men who were waiting in line behind them and said, now it's your turn to see the baby Jesus. Most scholars will say it was at least three to six months, if not a year, after Jesus was born before the wise men actually showed up. Dig into it a little bit and you'll see that. Again, I'm not trying to dash your manger scene dreams here, but that's the reality of the text. So they came, it says that Magi or later entered the house where Jesus was. Jesus was not born in a house. And so there's a lot we don't know, but there's a few things we do know is that they came from the east. It was a long distance traveled. We're talking about thousands of miles. That's a commitment of probably not just weeks, but months and months to be on the road with not even a Casey's to stop at for a slice of pizza. I mean, this is a long way to go. And so they are traveling and they see this star. There is something that is compelling them despite the inconvenience of that and the unknowns, they're probably traveling by camel or by foot. And so they followed the star that the prophets are, that they foretold. These are astronomers. They knew their astronomy. And this one star was brighter than all the rest, and it was right over the top of Bethlehem. And so when they arrived in Jerusalem, the capital at the time where Herod was, they obviously had a deep and genuine passion and excitement for experiencing God's gift. For the wise men, they had a genuine interest in knowing Jesus. A genuine interest. And I wonder, this may seem like an odd question, but what's your level of interest in truly knowing Jesus this Christmas? Not just knowing about him, but what is your level of interest in actually knowing him and experiencing him? And the reason I ask that is because here's the thing. I look around, and it's very easy to be for Christmas. There's not a lot of people that are against Christmas. Probably the Grinch and Scrooge are the two that I can think of that are anti-Christmas, right? But I'm looking around the room today. I'm guessing if we took a poll, everybody would say, I'm for Christmas. 
Even, even people that don't believe in Jesus, that don't want anything to do with the church, they're for Christmas. They're for gifts. They're for Christmas trees. They're for shopping. They're for Christmas carols. Even ones that talk about Jesus. This is the most amazing time of the year where millions of people that don't want anything to do with Jesus or would say that they're atheists or don't believe in him rock out in their cars to Christmas songs that are all about the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? Every single one of these Christmas songs that we sing that are on the radio today, even secular radio stations, are all about Jesus. Everybody's for Christmas. It's very easy to be for Christmas. It's a lot more difficult to be for Jesus. It takes a lot more intentionality to be for Jesus. The story of the Magi, they're thousands of miles away, and it would have been very easy for them to see the star, to know the prophecy, and go, oh, Bethlehem, that's right. That's what the prophet said, and that's where we should go. But you know what? That's a long way to go and kind of inconvenient. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody else will, will, will get there and be able to experience the Messiah, but I, I think we're just going to hang out here in the East. But they didn't. They went to experience the gift for themselves. They took time to go in and to experience him. They slowed down enough and contemplated, we need to see if this truly is the Savior of the world and the King of Kings. I want to experience him for myself. But so often the things that are most important that are right in front of us, we just run right past and overlook Reminds me uh, of a story several years ago now when my wife Tiffany and I were first uh, dating in college. It was right around this time of Christmas and the weeks leading up to Christmas. It was finals time. And so everybody's studying and everybody's stressed out and freaked out. And so one of the things that Tiffany would do, we, we had a recital hall, kind of a, a chapel there at the college. And because it's up in Forest City, it's always cold in northern Iowa. I mean, it's like practically Canada once you get past Highway 30 up there. I mean, it's just cold up in northern Iowa. And so we're up in Forest City. And so people would stop through the music hall, the recital hall, the chapel there, on their way to their next class to kind of warm up a little bit. And so Tiffany, who's playing piano up here this morning, would just stop in and, and play. It was open to students, and she, she would sit down at the baby grand there in the chapel, and she would just play. She doesn't read music necessarily. She just plays by ear, and she just would play songs, and it was, it was beautiful. And so as, as students would kind of stop in and go from class to class and things like that, they would stop in and actually go in and just sit down for a while and listen to the music, to the beautiful piano music that she was playing. Well, one of those people that was freaking out and was running all over the place was me. And so I'm running through the chapel one time. I was a communications major, and so I've got radio stuff to finish up and TV stuff to finish up and, and uh, videos to edit and things like that. And so I'm super busy, and I'm running through the lobby of the chapel of the recital hall with my backpack bouncing, and I'm running through. And all of a sudden, I, I feel this, this hand reach out and grab, you, grab me, and it's my friend Daniel, who's also a good friend. Tiffany's at the time, and he reaches out, and he grabs me, he pulls me back, and says, hey, John, where are you going? I'm like, Daniel, I can't talk right now. I got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, I got a final due tomorrow. I got this project I got to finish up. I can't, I can't talk right now. And he said, John, stop. Listen, do you hear that? And I go, yeah, I just, somebody's playing piano, music coming from somewhere. I really got to go. I, seriously, I don't have time right now. He's going, no, stop. Listen. Do you hear that? And I go, yeah, somebody's playing the piano. And he said, it's your girlfriend. And I go, oh. And he's like, yeah, people are stopping in there to, to, to listen to her. That's why all those people are in there. And then he said something to me that I will never forget as I was ready to just race on past. 
an awesome boyfriend I was at the time, he said this to me, John, it seems like everyone else has realized how beautiful that is except you. you got to get in there. He was a good friend. You know you have a good friend when they tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. A lot of you have friends that tell you what you want to hear. And he called me out that day, and I'll never forget that. He said, you got to get in there. And I did, and whenever she plays now, I'm not the best at it, but I always try to stop and slow down and remember that moment and just listen to the music. Some of you are going to run right past the manger scene this Christmas. And you're going to get everything else done on your to-do list, and you're not going to be more in love with Jesus on December 25th than you were at the beginning of the month. And you're going to run right past the manger scene, because in a couple weeks, it's all going to go back in the box. And you're going to pack it up for another year, and you're going to put it away. And for some of you, it's going to be like Christmas never happened. Or for some of you that have done this for so many years, the danger is is that our enemy will lull us into complacency. If you want to remember what Christmas is like, watch a child. Watch a small child and look at the wonder in their eyes. And somewhere along the line, we lose that because we're adults and we're serious and we're productive and it's Christmas. When did you lose the wonder of it all? Stop and listen to the music. You gotta get in there. Don't just be a fan of Christmas. Slow down and listen to the music with a a genuine interest and experience the gift of the Savior just as the Magi did. And I don't know what that looks like for you. It's not too late to slow down and maybe start a a devotional as a family or with, with your spouse. Maybe it's taking five or ten minutes a day to just pray or to listen or to read some scripture. And here's the thing, that why I've just been hammering on this feel like slowing down and solitude and silence these past few weeks. Solitude and silence form a framework within us where we can constantly be aware of the movement of God and know it's not us. Solitude and silence provide a way for us in the midst of a crazy world to be aware of what God is doing inside of us, which is the most important thing that you could pay attention to. I know you're passionate about so many things, but I pray that you would be most aware and most attuned this Christmas season to what God wants to do in you first. Are you aware of that? Slow down and listen to the music. And that's what the Magi did, but I wish the story ended there. I wish we could say, you know, Merry Christmas. The Magi went and saw Jesus and everything was great, but that's not the whole story. I think there are a few other characters in their story that respond to Jesus in a much different way that I think maybe, if we're honest, is a little bit more true to the way that we live. The Magi weren't the only ones to respond. There's people that had very different responses. Namely, King Herod. So go back to the story and look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this news that the baby was to be born, he was very disturbed. That's taking it lightly, I think. Herod was a bad, bad dude, right? Think of like mafia characters, okay? Think of serial killers. That's Herod, okay? He was very disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, you would think at face value, you're like, oh, Herod's not that bad of a guy. He, he wants to know where Jesus is so he can go and worship him. Yeah, right. You read on in the story, the only reason that Herod wants to find Jesus is so he can do what? Kill him. Destroy him. And later on, we read in the story that because he's threatened so much by this new king that he actually orders all of the Jewish firstborn uh, all the boys to be killed, and that's why Jesus and Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt later on in the story. So his cover, it appears as though, just like the Magi, he has a genuine interest, but that's just a cover for what is actually his self-interest. We can respond to Jesus in a lot of different ways. It's not just genuine interest. For Herod, it was self-interest. For Herod, there is a competition, and for us, this competition exists inside of our hearts every single day. If Herod is the king and he's in charge, and yet Jesus is the king, we have some tension here. Something's got to give. Who's going to call the shots? And that battle happens inside of our hearts every single day. If you want to be in control of your life and your money and your marriage and your finances and your social life and your calendar and how you make decisions, if you want to be the king, and if Jesus is the king, who gets to call the shots in your life? Who's the director? Who's in charge? And that was what Herod was struggling with in his disinterest. And so just like Herod, but maybe not in such a harsh way, for some of us, the desire to use Jesus for our own interests exists as well. It's not as harsh, and it's a little bit more, I don't know, behind the scenes, but we say things and think things like, you know, if, if he could heal me, if he could heal that person next to me, then I'm interested, and boy, my prayer life's going to skyrocket so I can get from him what I want. You know, if he could provide me with a spouse, with a significant other, that would be awesome. If he gets me a job, then I'm really interested. If he could, you know, if, if Jesus could just give me some of those warm fuzzies and worship that everybody else is talking about, if I could just experience that, that would be awesome. If Jesus could just sort of align with my political or social agenda and I could bring him on to my agenda, that would be great. And then I can say the Bible says so or Jesus says so instead of starting with the Bible and who Jesus is and aligning my agenda to that. We want to use Jesus for all sorts of reasons, and we forget that Jesus isn't a vending machine for your personal agenda. Jesus also isn't a large round man in a red coat that is willing to give you whatever you want if you're naughty or nice. That's not the gospel. God wants to give us good things, but he knows that when we worship the gifts instead of the giver, we will never be satisfied. Some of you are for Christmas. You're all about it because you're all about the gifts. You're all about the trappings. And we do that same thing during Christmas. Don't fall so in love with the trappings and all, everything about the season and forget that they were only means to an end to stir your affection for Jesus. That is my deepest prayer for you is that every time you hear a Christmas song, every time you look into the eyes of your children, Every time you're walking through the mall and you hear that song and you feel that presence, every time you're wrapping gifts for your family, every time you're sitting in worship or you hear something, I pray that it would stir your affections to know Jesus more. Don't mistake the gifts and the trappings of the season for the giver and to know Jesus yourself. We want Jesus to be a lot of different things. We have our own personal preferences and nobody does that better than our friend Ricky Bobby. 
Some of you have seen the movie Talladega Nights, and you know the infamous scene where, boy, he just wants Jesus to be exactly who he wants him to be. Let's take a look. That's not how prayer time goes at your house, uh, I'm guessing. In addition to being one of the most awkward prayers that you could ever hear, that scene is basically a commercial for idolatry uh, right there. You, we, we try to make Jesus whoever we want, and we get off track. I love what, what Chip says, the old man says, he was a man, right? And we forget that because some of you want to leave Jesus in the manger. Because if you leave him in the manger, then he's just a cute little eight pound, six ounce, cuddly baby Jesus, and you don't have to have him telling you what to do. But the reality is he was a man with a beard and he grew up to be a man and not just a man, but your Lord and your Savior which means he's the king of kings. He didn't stay in the manger. And if you would follow him out of the manger, instead of making him who you want him to be, of some religious figure or some guy that makes nice quotes that you can put on your Facebook page or somebody that you can make pictures of on your walls or make him who you want him to be, he was a man who was God's own son, who was the Messiah, who grew up and one day he was walking along the shore and he saw some fishermen and he looked at him, and he looks at you this morning, and he says, follow me. Not you do your thing, and I'll come along and tailor myself to you. Jesus says, follow me. Come to me on my terms. Put me, number one, as the priority in your life. Come, follow me. Not as a little infant, cute and tiny infant that you celebrate once a year on Christmas. He says, I am Jesus Christ, I'm the King of Kings, I'm the Lord of Lords who calls you to follow me every single day and invade every single area of your life. Yes, there's genuine interest, but we can also respond to the baby with self-interest as well. But Herod wasn't the only one to respond to Jesus. There was self-interest, there was disinterest as well. There was disinterest as well. Look back at the story in verses 1 and 2 when the Wise men originally arrive in Jerusalem. They're looking for the king. And many of the Jewish rabbis and the religious leaders of the day, they could have told you exactly where the baby was going to be born. Right in the middle of our passage from Matthew chapter 2, there is a quote from the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that says, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem and there will be a star. And so then in, in uh, verse 3, we read that King Herod when he heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So read between the lines here a little bit. The whole town is stirred up, and yet there is no indication that anyone shows any interest in going to Bethlehem besides the Magi. Only a few people actually go and say, oh yeah, the, the prophet Micah said he was going to be in Bethlehem, and there was going to be a star, and maybe if the king of the world is being born, maybe we should go check it out. But nobody does. They ran right past the manger, just like you and I often do. Even Jesus' own people were disinterested in the gift when it first arrived. And we do the same. That was certainly the case for a man I remember that I was thinking of this week. There was a part of our community here about seven or eight years ago, and his name was Russell. And it was actually right around this time, around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, that we were doing this class called CORE, which we're starting again here in January, a brand new class uh, for the first time. We were doing it for the very first time about seven or eight years ago, and we were doing it not here, but actually at another 
former car dealership in the East Village, which is torn down now and is now a high-rise hotel uh, down there. But that's where we did Alpha and Core for the first time. And uh, we had been in there, and the class was actually going several weeks. And one night as people were arriving, it was the first or second night of the class, and I saw this rougher-looking gentleman come in, just literally walk in right off the street. And he went up to one of our volunteers, and he introduced himself and, and asked someone what was going on. And they said, well, it's a church group. We're doing a class here. And eventually he found me, and he introduced himself and told me a little bit of his story. And uh, I, he asked me what was going on. I said, well, it's a class, and we're learning to follow Jesus. And there's a meal, and there's singing, and we can learn about the Bible. And he said, well, that sounds pretty good. What's for dinner? He said, I remember it was the first question that he asked me, and I think it was like pasta and breadsticks or something. He's like, well, that's worth sticking around for. I'll stay around for the breadsticks, and we'll see what happens. And so he, he had that, and then I, we were doing worship, and I remember it was just kind of random, but he was looking around during worship like this, and I walked over him. I said, everything okay? What are you looking at? And he goes, yeah, just seems really familiar. I think I bought a Jeep here once. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Well, you're welcome to stick around and and yet, as I looked over in worship and during the talk later that night, could not have been more disinterested. I, I, he practically almost fell asleep. He was so bored and didn't want anything to do with it and just seemed awkward and weird. And something shifted, and I don't know if it was the breadsticks or Jesus. I'm guessing Jesus. But he came back the next week. And he came back the next week and every week until the end of the class. He kept getting back, and we got him in a group, and he started opening up this guy that had just walked in that nobody knew. And he started to open up about his story, and we learned that he'd just recently been divorced. He was struggling to connect with his own grown children. And I don't remember what he said exactly. It's been a while now, but I remember him sharing a story that he had been a part of a, a church before, and all that he heard was how bad of a person that he was. That he figured because of his divorce and because of his drinking problem that he assumed that God must be extremely disappointed with him. And so he said, I just grew disinterested and I didn't really want anything to do with the church. And I remember the last night of the class, we ended with some time of prayer and worship and I looked over in the men's group that we had put him in and there was Russ with his hands in the air with tears running down his eyes, worshiping and singing at the top of his lungs. Really, really bad, I remember, out of tune. <laughs> but he was worshiping. And I remember after we were done that night, I went over to him, and I remember this conversation like it was yesterday, and I said, Russ, like, what, what happened these past few weeks? And I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, I, I did the whole church thing for a long time, but I think I missed Jesus. I think I missed Jesus. And he said, these past few weeks, I have been so loved by your people. Here I have been prayed for. And last week, it was actually last week, he said, I felt like Jesus just reached out and grabbed me and is holding on to me. And he said, I just want to know Jesus more. He was walking by the building that first night when he came in and he heard the music. And unlike your pastor, he slowed down and went in. He didn't miss the beautiful music. He didn't just think, well, 
It's for somebody else. He went and experienced the gift for himself. Many saw the star in the east, but only the Magi took the time to go and experience it for themselves. And I could tell you story after story of people just like Russ, of people just like you, many of the people I know sitting next to you today, that I'm guessing when you first walked through those doors, you were, if you're honest, full of self-interest of what you could get out of church. Well, it's not meeting my needs, or they don't have this ministry for my season of life, or it's not, the music's not exactly what I would want, or it's too loud, or whatever it is. I hope the sermon's not too boring, and we just get full of, I hope it aligns with my beliefs, or whatever it is, our self-interest. And some of you flat out came through those doors with disinterest because somebody drug you, or they forced you to come, and you're like, fine, I'll do this church thing once. And just like Russ, Jesus reached out and grabbed a hold of you. And you've been here ever since. And just like Russ, he kept coming back and again and again and again because when you experience Jesus, everything changes. And I see that in so many of you. I could see it in his eyes and I can see it in so many of your eyes. Something changes. It's like the pilot light that's in your heart grows very dim sometime and we grow uh, complacent in our faith and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes along and fans that flame in our heart and it's a roaring fire. And I can see it in your eyes of some of you that have just come alive and it's usually the people that are brand new to the faith. And the rest of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while are looking around going, what's wrong with you and why are you still on fire and what's going on? Because we have grown complacent. We've lost our awe of the gospel and these people that are coming to faith that you can see it in their eyes and they're, they're showing up at worship and they're all in and you can see it. And I know this sounds crazy, but I've seen some of you come early to worship. I know, five, 10, 15 minutes early and you're sitting here and you're reading your Bibles. If the only time that you open your Bible is here when I'm preaching, something's wrong and you're missing it. I want you to experience Jesus for yourselves. I want you to get it firsthand, not just through me. I can see it in your eyes and you start showing up at worship every single week and you're like, I wouldn't miss it for the world and you get involved in a small group and you're like, I, I can't even imagine life without my small group now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that in my calendar and base everything else around that. You, you stay after and you pray for people up here even though it's a, it's a job that doesn't get a lot of publicity up here. It changes things. It changes everything for people in the way that you serve each other, in, in, in the way that you, that, you, that you invite. I mean, that's one of the, the, the biggest things where I see the passion showing up uh, a lot. And certainly in Russ, after taking core, he joined us at Hubble for worship, and he kept coming back again and again, and he started inviting people, which is the most natural thing in the world to do. I've loved hearing stories these past few weeks. Some people have come up to me and said, John, can I get some more of those postcards? <laughs> I wouldn't even think about leaving them on the seats. Can I get some more of those? Because I've given them away. To, to all of my family and my friends and, and my coworkers, I had somebody come up to me last week and say, I was just driving through McDonald's and so I gave one to the lady in the drive-thru, you know? Because the most natural thing in the world to do when you've experienced the greatest news is to share it. The worst thing somebody can say to you is no. <laughs> and I just remember this guy, Russ, was so on fire in the way that God took his self-interest and his disinterest and transformed into a genuine interest to know Jesus. Something had shifted in the Magi. Something had shifted in Russ at that time. Something shifts in our hearts. And this Christmas season, there are a whole lot of Russes out there that need an invitation.
not just to Christmas, but into your life to know Jesus, to be a part of a community? Will you invite them? Or will you stay complacent and comfortable? Something had shifted in the hearts of the Magi to where when they showed up in Jerusalem, their hearts were in a posture of worship. Whenever it was, that night or a month later or a year later, we don't know, but whenever they showed up, they were so overwhelmed with his presence that in the presence of this infant, in verse 11, it says, they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Not just any gifts, but these treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh, which at first may seem a little odd. Some of you mothers out there are saying, such unpractical gifts, right? How about diapers and baby wipes? That would have been much more practical, right? Gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh, it seems a little bit odd. Look a little closer. Gold is a sign of royalty. Kings have gold. A sign of immeasurable wealth. Gold for the king of kings. Frankincense, as its name would indicate, it's an incense, it's perfume, and it was actually in the Old Testament, frankincense was used by priests in the temple. If you remember, priests were the mediators between man and God, and they would use frankincense and other scents and perfumes in the temple and the Holy of Holies to make a sweet fragrance of worship to God as they would offer sacrifices. Jesus is the priest of all priests, as he later says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice that will ever need to be made. Frankincense for the priest of all priests. And the third gift is the most peculiar of all. I'm guessing none of you parents have purchased myrrh for your children for Christmas. Pretty odd gift. Myrrh, also known as an embalming fluid for the dead. Perfect gift for a newborn baby. And yet the next time that we hear of myrrh, you can go and look it up in John chapter 19, is after this baby who became a man dies on an old Roman cross taking our sin upon him as they were preparing his body for burial and wrapping him in these cloths. You can read it in John 19. Jesus' body was prepared with myrrh. Placed in a tomb, wrapped in cloths, and you know the story, three days later, comes back to life. And I obviously wasn't there, so I don't know how it happened, but I imagine there's Jesus laying in the tomb, wrapped in cloths, and three days later he says, okay, enough of this death thing. How about some resurrection? And he stands up fresh off of being wrapped in perfumes and linens, and I'm guessing that Jesus' first breath of resurrected new life might have been filled with the scent of myrrh. The same scent that filled his tiny infant lungs in literally one of his first breaths of life in the manger. Myrrh, a very, very appropriate gift for the conqueror of death. 
Yes, the Magi knew there was something different about this baby, and God had transformed their hearts as astronomers from the east into this passionate worship with gifts for God himself. Sometimes I wonder what it would have been like after those thousands of miles of travel for them to actually see the God of the universe in flesh. As we watch this final clip, consider how you would have responded the first time seeing the King of Kings. Let's take a look. So imagine being a teenage mother holding your newborn baby just a few hours old and having a magi lay a gift at your feet saying, thank you for the sacrifice that your child will give in his death. Whatever the Magi's view of God was, was just broken, wide open. (laughs) You could see it in his eyes, the way that he looked at his two companions and said, really? This is God's rescue mission to save the planet? Is this helpless baby? This is it. How will you respond to God's gift this Christmas? With self-interest, with disinterest, or a genuine passion to worship him with everything you've got? There's only one way to not miss Christmas. To slow down and to hear the music. To experience this gift for yourself because when it all goes back in the box in a few weeks, There's one thing that remains. There's one thing that will carry on into the weeks and the months and the years ahead for you, and that is his unconditional love for you. And you have to know that this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave you his one and only son, that if you would believe in him because he perished, you will not have to, and you will have everlasting life. That is the gift. Receive it this Christmas season. The one thing, the one thing that matters beyond anything else is to know this Savior. Let's stand and let's sing and let's join together and sing and worship this King.